1: Welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star's crime podcast with Paul Healy and Michael O'Toole. It's very rare for one of the country's most experienced and highly regarded detectives to use the word psychopath, but that is the term Michael O'Sullivan utters in the pod tonight when he talks about a certain Cornelius Price. It's not Michael's first rodeo. He led the Organised Crime Bureau, got to the rank of Assistant Commissioner, and spent decades facing down serious criminals. So when he calls someone a psychopath, I certainly perk up my ears. As you may know, Cornelius Price died from a long-term underlying illness in Wales over the weekend but he was regarded as one of Ireland's most dangerous criminals and Michael does not hold back when talking to us about Price's shattered lives tonight. Price is feared to have committed at least six murders and even tried to attack and intimidate Gardaí. As, now, as well as speaking with Michael, Paul and I also examine Price's crimes and Paul speaks to a mother of one of his victims.
0: So Mick, one of the great things about... Um continue to do this pod is that uh, we we can talk about live news and uh, crime never really stops as you know but there was a major major development um, yesterday evening uh, with the death of Cornelius Price and I think I'll hand it over to you because you uh, would have heard this name long before I did um, the name Cornelius Price uh, is something that that you've been skirting around for many years um, in, in association with God knows how many crimes. So when was the first time you heard the name Cornelius Price?
1: You're quite right, Paul. This the beauty of this pod is that we can react, and uh, you know, as you know, we have been doing it mostly about the the trial of Jerry the Monkudge, but we're widening it out widening it out, and I d- we do think that uh, Cornelius Price is a worthy subject because he really was a very very serious criminal. So. Um, like many things, there are lots of criminals whose names I don't know. I mean, that's just the reality. There, there are people who just lie beneath the radar. But I first heard, and I'm sure others had before this, but I first heard of Cornelius Price in the context of the murder of a man called Benny Whitehouse, who was shot dead in Balbriggan in late 2014. So he was killed as part of a drugs feud. He had been involved in an ongoing feud he'd attacked in the previous year he had attacked Cornelius Price over the rivalry of the of the drugs feud and Cornelius Price got his revenge almost a year later when he shot him dead uh, as he was dropping his child or children to school in Balbrigan and uh, Mr Whitehouse's partner was also shot in the leg and that incident. And it was a really I can remember the murder itself it was a broad daylight murder at a school and you can't get much more shocking than that so while we were investigating this the name Cornelius Price came about. Now, because of Ireland's defamation laws, good or bad, whatever people think about them, there's obviously no way that we could name Cornelius Price because he was a suspect for a murder. But look, you know, his name has become, I think it's fair to say his name has become increasingly out there in the last couple of years. And we know that he has been, uh, he was living over in, in Wales, I believe, largely because of the a feud. Now, we're not going to this feud, this pod re- isn't really about the Drogheda feud. Um, Nicola Donnelly, who's an expert on all things drahada esque is one of our top reporters in the Star, and we're, I'm going to be talking to her later on in the week, hopefully, about the wider Drogheda feud, including the horrendous murder of young Keane Mulready Woods. We know that two men were sentenced for facilitating that murder last week. So I we don't really propose to go into depth about the the murder of King Mulrady Woods or the, the feud in general, this is more about Cornelius Price. Now, um I was doing some basic totting up there. I think Gardy Gardy do believe, I know Gardy do believe that he was involved in several murders, starting with Benny Whitehouse in 2014. But by my calculations, I can think of six murders altogether that Gardy would believe he was involved in. Now there may be more, but six is a, a significant number and it just goes to show you How dangerous uh, Cornelius Price is. He was a criminal. He was based in Gormanstown, which is between Balbrigan and Drogheda, just on the coast there, I suppose, um, quite near the M1. And it was a compound, and it was very hard for Gardy to get into that compound. There were walls around it. It was a a compound, a bit of a fortress. It really was his bailiwick, and I think he treated it like that. But as I said, he did become involved in the Drahada feud, and there were six, at least six killings that we can find that have been attributed to him. Now we've mentioned the first one, which is that of Benny uh, Whitehouse in Balbriggan. Then subsequent to that, there were two in 2014, but I'm, I'm going to skip those because I want you to talk about them, Paul, because uh, very, very significant cases. But the uh, the Drahada feud then, I suppose, consumes. So that's three, and then there are three other murders in the Drahada feud that have been attributed to Cornelius Price and his gang. So the first one would be a man called Keith Branigan, who was shot dead at a, as he was working on a mobile home. It wasn't his um home. He was he was a a carpenter, a timber caller. I remember he'd been up in the scene. It was a, uh, I think it was a summer's day, and he was shot dead as he was I was working on deck. and That was August twenty nineteen. A few months later, in November. 2019 and a few miles away it was in Betty's town, which is near Laytown just on the beach there a, a drug dealer called Richie Carberry was shot dead at his home. so he would have been on the opposing side to uh, price uh, in in that feud and then the final murder that I'm going to talk about is that of a, an infamous hitman himself. I remember writing about this man Robbie Lawler, who was shot dead in in North Belfast in 2020. You need to be slightly careful because people are before the courts. In relation to that in Northern Ireland, but what I can say is that Robbie Lawler himself was an inf- infamous killer, had been blamed, I think, for around six. I remember maybe more, maybe seven murders himself. So he was a very, very dangerous person, and he was shot dead in North Belfast in April 2020. In Aggie. And again, had to be careful because people are before the courts. So that's four of the six. But there were in April 2015 a couple went missing. They were last seen at. Uh, Prices compound in the Gormanstown area, and that was Anniver Slavena and Willie Mohan. Now, the interesting aspect to this is Gardy are treating their case as murder, even though neither body has been found. And it's quite rare that ha- that has happened a couple of times. It's ex- extremely rare for Gardy to do that, to you know, because usually a missing person case. But it, this case has been upgraded, and I know that you would have some insight into this case, Paul.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 hard to believe uh, that it's it's it's, it's uh, the fourteenth of April, twenty fifteen, that it's been um, that long since uh, the disappearance and murders of 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 William and Anna, and it's a case that we have been writing about over and over and over uh, the years because there's been nonstop developments and intimidation tactics from Cornelius Price and his gang, uh, in um, uh, and uh, which has resulted in in us writing stories about that, um, but. Willie Martin was uh, was was not an organised criminal. Uh, was somebody who was, uh, according to his family, you know, trying to to, to live on the straight and narrow, and um, was was going back to Tala and and getting away from things, uh, people that he was caught up with and involved with, and unfortunately, he caught the ire of Cornelius Price uh, because uh, Cornelius Price believed uh, that William. Uh, Mohan had information about the murder of Benny Whitehouse, which you've mentioned, um, and he was afraid that uh, that Willie Mohan, who was trying to live on the straight and narrow more or less, might give him up, um, and that he might pass information on uh, that might result in in Cornelius Price uh, getting done for the Benny Whitehouse murder. Um, so you know, it tells you, it gives you a, an insight into the ruthless kind of character that Cornelius Price was because. He made the decision to have willie murdered and willie was lured to this uh, site in gormanstown and county meath uh, along with his pregnant par- partner anna for uh, uh, varslavane um And sadly, they were murdered. And we know that they were murdered because this is something that the Price gang have taunted the family about uh, for many years and boasted openly uh, about um, the fact that their bodies would never be found. And there were various different accounts over the years as to uh, how they were murdered. Um, And so everyone in the world of journalism certainly knew that uh, Mr. Price was connected to this murder. Um, And then as he committed more crimes and eventually ended up in jail, we were able to say, more than we were in the beginning, we were able to eventually say um, that William and Anna were murdered by the gang associated with Cornelius Price. But now that Cornelius Price is no longer with us, we can we can come out and outright say that this, this murder was orchestrated by Cornelius Price himself. And in fact, he's believed to, to have even carried out the murder um, and to have been present during it, uh, along with, with at least 12 other men. The family believed that there were 12 other people involved uh, in this killing uh, and that it happened in this in in this compound as we've mentioned in Gormanstown and that the bodies were then disposed of so there is a there is a narrative that the bodies were um that they were cremated uh, but the family don't believe that they're cremated they believe that they are buried somewhere and that there are people still out there who know what happened to William and Anna and they now hope uh that that with the death of Cornelius Price um those people will finally come forward and tell them where they are.
1: And I remember there was at least one search in the greater Gormanstown area. I think it was, was it in a quarry or something? It, or a landfill? I remember. that. Not far from I, that company, was, yeah. not, too far, not far. And I think Gardy did have high hopes that the bodies would have been recovered. And I know, just in relation to the cremation, I think um, Willie's mother got to the scene very quickly because Anna had rung Willie's mother and people could hear her, and they could hear her screaming so they got there very very quickly and I think when Mrs Mohan got there there was a fire there and I think that led some people to believe that that was they were cremating the bodies but I don't I think Guardy don't think that I think Guardy themselves would believe that they are buried in the area so you know as has been said with this man's death I think he did sort of rule by fear so maybe now somebody will do the right thing and come forward because the the, the shadow of Cornelius Price has gone from them.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll play it in a moment. But I I had a, a very powerful chat today uh, with Mr. Mahan's uh, mother and father. You'll you'll hear uh, a clip um, with with her consent uh, that this is William's mother, uh, Nell Mahan. And she is speaking to us about the death of Cornelius Price, what it means for her and her family, but also about the threat that they were under as a family. Like even when, uh, after, as we've mentioned, after these murders were committed, the family lived in, uh, well, they say they didn't live in fear, but they were, they were. Uh, fear tactics were placed upon them by by Cornelius Price and his gang. And you'll hear Mohan actually tell us um, that Cornelius Price Brought men to her door and more or less told her to stop speaking out, um, or or her life would be in danger.
1: Just before you play that clip, one of the the horrendous issues for me in this cover in this case was a couple of years ago. Willie's B- 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 Willie had a brother, Michael. Now he died. I think it was from a, an illness. He think he died quite suddenly, and it was it was a good few years ago. And he is buried in I think it's Tala, one of the, the graveyards in Tala. But a few years ago, I got a a, a wee tip that the grave had effectively been dug up so you know i remember at the time my belief was that there was the, there's the price gang that were involved in that so that's really unspeakable they went, they they murdered willie they murdered anna they taunted the family as you said they called to the family's door and then they effectively desecrated a man's grave so it shows you you know what's the word I'm struggling to find a word. It really isn't speakable what was done to that family.
0: Yeah, but uh, as you'll hear yourself um, from Mrs Mahan, who, who's agreed to, to have her voice be heard on this pod, she's incredibly she's an incredibly strong woman um, and they're a strong-willed family. And, and in spite of all of that, uh, they never stopped speaking out. They continued uh, to appeal for answers to get justice Um and they, they, they now hope with the death of Cornelius Price that there are people out there with a conscience who, who maybe might have feared uh, Price and, and might now feel that there's no impediment, nothing stopping them from coming forward and telling what happened uh, to William and Anna. Um, you know, in spite of all of those threats, uh, they, they, they continue to speak out. So it's a real testament to them as a family.
1: OK, so we might hear this clip now. This is you speaking to Willie's mother.
0: Nell, why do you think your son was murdered, what, what was that reason ever given to you, not that anyone deserves to be murdered, but what was, their, what was their disgusting reasoning for having your son killed?
2: Well the reason my son was murdered was he had information about Billy Whitehouse's murder hmm. and my son was moving back to Tala and my son had information and they were afraid that he was going to release that information.
0: Yes. And, and
2: I strongly believe that my son and Anna will trade to heaven, because my son didn't take a life. And God is looking down, and I do believe that the people that done this to my son, there's a few of them, there's a lot of them suffered now. And hmm. um, Christ is gone, We won't put another family through the hurt and pain that my family's gone through. And the tears that I've been crying, my family's crying, let him... His family see what debt is like now. Let their, his mother go through the pain, and his family go through the pain that my family's been going through. Yeah. Because it's not a, it's not a thing that you like to pump to anyone's door. And no father or mother deserves to bury their child. And mm. for the bury a child, but not get it's go and bury them. Mm. You can go and say, oh, right, they're buried. give them burial. Mm. They'll be able to give him a, a burial. But I can't give my son a burial because I haven't got his body back to bury
0: him. Yeah. And and I mean, there's been all sorts of rumors over the years as to as to where where and what they did with with your son's remains. But do do you believe he's still out there? They're out there somewhere, and someone knows what happened in regards to their 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 remains.
2: Look, the best way to put it to put a rumor out that William and Anna was born to this. We don't believe that. Yeah. I don't believe it, and if I believe that, I wouldn't be standing today. And the bodies is obviously someone has information where the bodies are mm. but I, I'm just asking them please as a, as a Christian if you have any kind of belief in God come forward and let us have closure for William and Anna. we truly deserve closure what we're going through we deserve it
0: Absolutely, may I ask you before I let you go the impact of all of this over the years on your family, what has it been like I mean have you been living in fear of Cornelius Price And, and uh, or, uh, I mean he obviously the, the grave was targeted and that were you as a family ever in fear of, of him and what he might be capable of doing to you No I wasn't afraid of him and
2: neither was my family hmm. We stood our ground for day one because my son was on his own and it's very easy for one person and him and Anna, for one man and for Anna to be targeted with nobody around them by a gang. If you're surrounded by a crowd, you haven't got a foot to stand on. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid fear of them, and neither was my family. And Anna not a fear of them. Hmm. And I've said that from on day one.
0: Were you ever told by the guards, though, that there might be any kind of a, a credible threat or to, to yourselves from that gang?
2: Well, they did. They gave threats in early stages mm. but, um, and the pipe on my daughter's place and they dug up my son's grave. Mm. But that didn't stop me from continuing fighting out for the justice of my son.
0: Yeah.
2: And I continue doing it. He's my child. Yes. And I have every right to speak up for my child. I'm his mother. I brought him into the world and I have every right to do it. And if I didn't speak up for my child, what kind of mother would I be? Yeah. And what kind of father would he have? Yeah. We have to do it. We have to continue fighting, fighting for justice for William and Anna to hmm. get
0: them back. And that fight doesn't end with the death of this man. There's still people out there that are responsible.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we, we would ask anyone that has information to come forward and give the closure.
0: Do, do do you have any, I suppose now that he's he's dead and buried, thoughts on, on Cornelius Price and where he is now and is he in hell, with- as, as your husband told me last night? Is that your belief? Well, look,
2: at, my belief is. What you do wrong in life? It's like a clock, and when the clock comes to a certain time, and when your time is up, you have to face God. Yeah. I firmly believe he will never see the gates of heaven. Mm-hmm. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone mm-hmm. down below to the fire. That's where he's gone. Mm-hmm. To take anyone, to take anyone's life, and not give their bodies back, and get up in and try and make a laugh at people in, 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 in social media and in them mock pages. Yeah and do you know what I mean that's that, 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 that intimidating bullying but we didn't take
0: sit back and take that mm. am I right in saying that, that there were phone calls that he had with, with you as a family as a, that where he did taunt you over the years yeah he
2: gave threats on phone calls yeah. he did yeah
0: yeah. and you could tell I mean I suppose he, he's a pretty defi- you could tell it was him that was threatening you as You as Actually, a family? We know
2: it was him. We know, we know it was him because yeah. he, sent, he sent people to my house to give the threat to me, not my husband now, to me, telling me if I did not shut my mouth I was going to be took out.
0: When, when was that?
2: Oh, that was the early stage when that happened to William, yeah. My God. Hmm.
0: But you stood your ground as you said.
2: I stood my ground and I continue to stand my ground where the strength is in my body yeah. as a mother.
0: So you, you never fe- you never feared him, despite his, his attempts to try and uh, make you fear him.
2: Well, uh, like, why should I fear him? Yeah. Like, why wh- why should I fear him? Because when he killed my son, when they killed my son in that property, right, my son was just there on his own, him and Anna. But, I mean, if, it's, if, 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 if I went out to him with a crowd and stood up, wonder what would he feel? Yeah. But we didn't do that,
0: Polly. Like we we're doing things the right way, and that's where we're going to continue doing it. Yes. So yeah, th- thank you to the Mohan family for speaking to us. Um, we should address just obviously Cornelius Price. Uh, he he has died at the age of forty-one. We we know he had a condition, he had a brain injury, and he was in hospital uh, since October of twenty twenty-one and was in a coma. Um, but as you might tell people, Mick, uh, during all of this, he was in Wales and he was actually on trial uh, for for a kidnap plot, and unfortunately, he he evaded justice in relation to that.
1: Yeah, so essentially, he got out of I think he got out of Weedfield Prison. He was serving a a, danger, a, a a sentence for endangerment. and that was in essence in relation to an incident in Balbriggan, in the grounds of Balbriggan Garda Station, when he when he drove a car at a, a a garda, and that was all part of his intimidation. He was he was trying to intimidate. Guardy Balbriggan would have covered that area at one stage, so he was he was basically putting it up to the guards. And we know from speaking to sources that say things like, we know that he would have put nails. There, there's a bit of a turning circle where Guardy would have turned at his compound after sort of patrolling it, seeing if they could spot anything, and he put nails there. And I think there were several Garda cars were really their tires were really badly damaged uh, while he was doing this. So he really was putting it up to him. On another occasion, he rang a guard, threatened his life. On another occasion, he, um, he got some of his acolytes to follow guards who were involved. So he really was, you know, as I say, putting it up to them. But he got out, I think it was around 1919, uh, 2019, May 2019, after serving a sentence here for endangerment. Things were getting really hot with a the feud then. And, you know, he was under pressure as well. So he uh, decamped to Wales. But, you know, maybe he thought he was leaving his criminality in Ireland. He was wrong because he got involved in a, an alleged kidnap plot. Over there where a man was, I think two men were kidnapped and tortured, they were, they were washed with dead oil, they were badly assaulted and they had to, you know, effectively ring their, their families and see if they would give them £300,000. Now, one man was convicted of that, uh, Price was charged with that, but as you say, the illness got in the way, so he did escape justice, but it just goes to show you all those elements, he really was a dangerous criminal, now he has been extremely unwell as you, for more than a year, so... You know, we would hear every so often that he was close to death, and there were several. Obviously, there were several false alarms, but the news was concerned, uh, confirmed on Sunday evening. Now, when I mentioned him putting it up to the guards, we're going to play another clip in a moment. Um Before the Ken and Hutch feud blew up in twenty sixteen, tw- late twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, there was a significant operation by what was then called the Organised Crime Unit and morphed into the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau against uh, Price because he was so dangerous. He was regarded as an extremely dangerous cr- not criminal. Now I'm not saying that the, criminal, the hutch uh, Kenan feud took everything over, but there had to be significant National Guard of resources put to dampening that feud and trying to end that feud. And we know that it'd be very successful. There'd be more than 70 Kennaghan gang members uh, locked up, they've, they've, they've prevented more than 70 murders, you know, and, and they've hit them really, really hard seize weapons, drugs, billions of euros. So it's been really successful. But before that, a lot of those resources would have been put, and those national resources would have been put on uh, price. That's how dangerous he was. it's It wasn't just local Guardian, Operation Stratus was set up uh, over the Drahida feud, but before that, there had been a national operation against Cornelius Price. And one of the people who was centrally involved in that is a man called Michael O'Sullivan. Now, he retired a few years ago as an assistant guard and commissioner. In his previous job, before he got promoted to commissioner, he was the detective chief superintendent in charge of the OCU, what became the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. So uh, Michael, um, he also led, I think, a unit after his retirement, he also led a unit called MAOC, which is the European Union's anti-drugs task force, it's the unit that catches all the drugs being brought from America to Europe. So we're going to talk to Michael about his career as a police officer in Ireland in the 80s and 90s. It's really fascinating stuff. We're going to talk to him later in the week. He arrested Christy Kinnan, for example. He was an undercover guard. People, listeners may have heard of the famous Mockies, who were the first real undercover guardian in the country buying drugs in the 80s. Noron O'Sullivan, who was contemporary of, of Michael would have been a mocky herself. So he really is a legendary police officer and very, very well known. But he has taken a few minutes today to give us us his reaction to the death of Cornelius Price and the background into the the, the investigation that he led. So we're going to play this clip now and it is really, really interesting. Former Assistant Commissioner Michael O'Sullivan, thanks for joining us today. Now, you are going to be one of the what's the word, stars, I suppose, of an up-and-coming Sky TV show called uh, Dublin Narcos. Now, I'm going to be wrecking your head about that later on this week, because you've kindly agreed to talk to me at length, and I will be interrogating you. But we wanted to take a few minutes today to talk about a man who I believe you crossed his path with, who died in Wales over the weekend. That would be Cornelius Price. Now, just to explain to our listeners, you did retire as an assistant guard commissioner. But before that, you would have been the chief super, the detective superintendent in charge of the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. I think, was it still known as the OCU when you were in charge as well? Or was, was that in your time?
3: Yeah, the OCU, the Organised Crime Unit, was there. We amalgamated what was the GNDU, the Garda National Drug Unit. We amalgamated the drug squad and a serious crime squad because of the way crime and drugs were no longer separated. So we amalgamated the two units and I was the chief superintendent in charge of it. So the main the, man. Yeah, it was a national remit really to mm-hmm. for drugs and organized crime, yeah.
1: And and what I would, in our previous conversations I was really interested to hear that effectively Cornelius Price and his outfit was a significant target for what we now call Doug B.
3: Yeah, I suppose yeah, yes he was. You know for for a guy who came out of nowhere really and his background he punched well above his weight I suppose the best way to describe him was he was an absolute evil psychopath without doubt one of the most evil people I've come across just shows no mercy to anybody and seems to you know he's not like your standard criminal who starts to make money keeps his head down he just thrived on conflict and violence intimidation torture burning houses dare i say killing people he was certainly involved in several murders and generally intimidating everybody and made serious efforts to intimidate local guards in Balbriggan, for which he served sentence but he was a guy who just no matter what money or how he made it or where he made it he just had to cause confrontation. He, he hadn't the intelligence to sit down and be quiet. He just had to be vicious and violent all the time. He's a one man, serious crime wave. He just, you know, and he couldn't mind his own business.
1: And um, um, why, as you said, Michael, most criminals, they do keep their head down. Why do you think he had this mindset?
3: So it was just a vicious streak in him. Maybe he hadn't got the intelligence. He had the intelligence to make money and to sell drugs and all of those things. I think you couldn't tell him anything. And he just hadn't got the intelligence that you had to leave that uh, street violence behind you. You, you, you know, if you're going to start making money and selling drugs. You can't be running around trying to burn guys' houses and trying to intimidate people, all this mad stuff. But he was just, he had that vicious psycho streak he would as quickly being been involved in a stabbing as as quickly made money, which he did. And, hand, you know.
1: And tell me, Michael, would it be fair to say that he, perhaps, I don't know if "confronted" is the right word, but he would it be fair to say he certainly put it up the local guardy?
3: Oh, he he would just he 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 would ring the local guard station and threaten people. He would. He at one stage drove into the local guard station, and narrowly missed knocking down a guard in which he was prosecuted for. He just had to confront and be combative to everybody. He he intimidated the public. He intimidated rival grams, He, in, rival groups. He intimidated some of the people who worked with him. When to work in inverted commas, who fellow criminals, and in he. he basically made everyone fearful of him because they knew he was a complete nutcase he he would as quick as talk hold a conversation with you and would stab you at the same time one of these just complete evil head case
1: and you would have had, you, you would have been, I'm not going to say in his company, but there was, I believe there was a, a, a bail hearing that you were taking part in. He was trying to get bail, I think it was for that incident, when he tried to mow down the Garda. And you would have given evidence to the court trying to keep him in custody.
3: Yeah, I had to give evidence there because yeah, to keep him in custody because he was facing several charges. And obviously, if he got out, he would intimidate witnesses, if not flee the jurisdiction, but he didn't abide by any sort of laws. You have to understand this guy. If I remember correctly, the, the, the Criminal Assets Bureau some years ago took a lot of money from him. And when I first met him in around the courts, and I, you know, he, 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 he didn't cut the figure that you thought that, that, that caused so much mayhem and destruction in the past. And um, he, with his ill-gotten gains, bought some land outside Balbriggan and basically built this huge wall around it and this sort of a somewhere between a campsite and a derelict house. And he created this uh, criminal compound, I suppose, for want of a better term, and, and organized his operations out of there. And he made it very difficult for the guards to patrol it and to, to search it and to visit it. It was just this criminal, just this just, 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 just criminal uh, Location. I remember one occasion when it was searched, we found a a car, a derelict, a, a, a disused car, which was used to practice car bombs on. You know, there was no evidence of that. There was no doubt about that. So, it, it was just that was the sort of individual he was. He had this this nerve centre, and it was just sort of a ramshackle and piece of land with this huge wall and forbidding sort of entrance to get into it, and difficult to get in, and difficult to get out of. But it was from he ruled that with an iron fist. And then anything outside of that, he carried out his feuds and all his other all his other activities. You know. So
1: so he was effectively trying to learn how to make car bombs?
3: He was practicing them. He was he was seeing how effective they were, yeah.
1: My God. And that would have been used against rival criminals or people who he believed had crossed
3: him. I'd say he'd use that against anyone he didn't like, whether it be guards or criminals who crossed him people he took a dislike to. this. You're dealing with a psycho.
1: And tell me is it true, because I heard that, did he get some of his henchmen or did he do it himself to follow Gardie?
3: That Yeah, that, there was cases of that, yeah he, he, he you know yeah, he did. He, he, he endeavoured to intimidate, there was, a, there was a number of guards who were investigating him, there was a team of guards operating out of Balbriggan and they were you know, they were making inroads into his criminal enterprise and into the feud he was running and into the into the shootings he was involved in and he didn't like the fact that they were being successful with their investigation so he did his best to try and have some of them followed home and to intimidate them and to strike fear that's how people like him operate they operate by striking fear into people that 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 they don't they don't bother. they're they're put off bothering him as well
1: and because, it, because he was such a threat, is that why national new lists like your own had to take him on, really?
3: Yeah, that is, we, were, we, were, we would give support to the locals and to give them extra resources. And when we began to see what he was up to, um, we um, certainly were giving resources to the local units in an effort to assist him. But that's what, that's what the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau did. We targeted um, criminals high-profile criminals, criminals who are causing a lot of grief around the country by, by lending the resources we had with the local resources, you know, because it's, it, it can be bad luck for in an area which is used to just standard policing and standard criminals and a guy like this shows up and starts thinking he's Al Capone, you know.
1: Now, you've been very direct about him. Now, some listeners may know that you would have had interactions with really, really, really serious criminals like Christy Kennan. We're going to talk about him in another pod, which I'm going to hassle you about. But in comparison, now, you know, I would consider, I don't know if you'd agree with this, I would consider Christy Kennan a very smart criminal, you know, because he's obviously been very successful. Is there any comparison to people like that, That you know, what, you know, I think the guards call them tier one criminals. Is he, is he Was Price anywhere near that? For intelligence even or cunning? He
3: hadn't got the intelligence to be a tier one criminal. He could make money from selling drugs and kidnapping and intimidating people. But he was always that violent street criminal. He could make money one day. And instead of keeping his head down and putting it aside, he could see some guy he didn't like. He could cross the street and slash him. You know, this crazy, psycho stuff um, which doesn't match in with a guy who's making money. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you have to leave that behind. You can't be the local head case and the Godfather at the same time.
1: And look, and this may have been a question for your colleagues in the Criminal Assets Bureau, but did he make much money, would you think? Or...
3: I'd have to check. But I, well, what I'm saying is uh, my recollection was that there was a sizable amount taken from him. I couldn't be certain. What but it was a matter of public record. I remember mm-hmm. reading about it even before I interacted, long before I interacted with him. My understanding was that they took quite a lot of money. I, I just... And,
1: and just one final question, Michael, and this has been really, really yeah. interesting. When you did interact with him, what did you make of him? What was the cut of his jib? Was he a small man? Was he, you know, was he just a ruffian? You know,
3: you could put him like that. You'd look at him in the dock. And you'd say, is this guy, is this guy what all this trouble is about? Really? You know, and to look at him in the street, you think he's some sort of a handbag snatcher or he'd break into a car. Or he was that sort of, you know, there was no finesse about him. It was just vicious, violent, psycho street criminal. You know, and that—that's putting it in a, in a nutshell. You know, which was unusual for him to cause so much, so much trouble that he caused over the years, and so much, um harm to people and distress and heartbreak to families.
1: never trust the journalist when they say, final question, I've got one more. Um, look, I, guards will be circumspect, former guards will be circumspect, that's no problem. I, uh, Our sources tell us that they believe uh, Price was involved in several murders. Would you believe that he was involved in that level of criminality?
3: I, I, I would believe he was, yeah. I would think so, yeah. It wouldn't bother him to murder people. And he was that callous sort of an individual. You know, he, he, like guys who would make some money and try to run some sort of a drug empire, would get somebody to do the dirty work. This guy would go out and do it himself, and there'd be a 50 50 chance of getting caught. And and there would be no, he wouldn't think of what's down the road, he wouldn't think of publicity the pressure from the police, the pressure from the media, the notoriety, I wouldn't enter into it, you know, which was, which made him, which made him even more dangerous. He, he couldn't see sense, that guy. You couldn't talk to him.
1: So now this is really interesting. So you would believe because most, most criminal godfathers or criminal boss cyclists wouldn't get their hands bloody. Would you think that, from your intelligence and from your evidence and from your, what you hear at the time, do you believe that his, he had direct involvement in serious crime-like murders?
3: The guy was a psycho. He would, he would murder, stab, shoot somebody or drive over somebody. At the drop of a hat, it would just occur to his mind to do that and he'd do it. And it, it's not so often you meet guys that are that evil. So really, he's... he's it's exceptionally evil, and I can't stress that.
1: So it, it, so this would be, uh, maybe not once in a career, because you had a, a very st- long and very illustrious career, but it is extremely rare to meet a criminal like him.
3: Do you know it is? It is. Most criminals, one way or the other, you could hold some sort of a conversation. They may hate you, and you may not particularly like them. But they would have the intelligence. They would have the intelligence not to drive into a, the yard of a police station and drive over a policeman. It isn't a good idea, you know. Mm. Mm. But when you have a guy thinking like, "Well, with a balaclava on a dark night, what is he liable to do?" You know, so he would just take a mad notion, and you know, he, he was just a psycho. And
0: there's not too many of them around, really, believe yeah. it or, in that business. Uh, it, it's fascinating to get um, the, the insight of, of, of an officer who investigated uh, Cornelius Price. So I think I think I think that'll be that's very powerful.
1: Yeah. So um, as I said, we'll be talking to Mick in a few days just about the, the rest of his career, and that'll be really really interesting. Not many guards can talk about arresting Christy Kinnan and following all the way through because Michael would have been involved in you know the Hut in preventing the Kinnon Food and policing the Kinnon Hutchview. So he saw. The Canaan organisation from the start until it got really, really powerful. So that'll be interesting. We would hopefully do that later on in the week, but I'd say that'll be us for today. We just wanted to do a very quick and very live pod into the life and death and murders of Cornelius Price. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much.